Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. It's good to be up here this morning as we continue our series in the Gospel of John entitled, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But we can't forget that last week, Pastor Matt preached the sermon, The Witness. And in that, we learned that John the Baptist's testimony, the testimony of Jesus' works, and God himself testify to who Jesus is. However, Jesus' testimony is the ultimate testimony because it's God's testimony. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, thank you for this morning. We could come together as a fellowship of believers, Lord, that we could hear the truth of your word. We're just asking now that help it to penetrate our hearts and our minds, Lord, so that we can understand your truth this morning and it can change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the book, More Than a Carpenter. Um, And by the way, I still have a lot of copies of these because I love this book so much. So if you want one, let me know and I'll bring some next Sunday. But this is one of the first uh, apologetic books that I ever read. And if you know me, I'm not a reader. I can't sit still that long. I don't like reading. It's not that thick, but the information inside this book is unbelievable. And basically it was written by Josh McDowell. He was an atheist who was challenged by a couple of Christians to kind of, you know, defeat some of the ideas that Jesus wasn't historical, that uh, Josh McDowell believed you could not be an intelligent thinker and a Christian at the same time. He ended up getting saved, becoming a believer, and he's uh, written this book, and it's it's, it's been uh, uh, basically spread internationally. It's just a really great apologetic book. Uh, It was fresh on my mind this week because a couple weeks ago, many of you know I'm going through physical therapy for one of my shoulders, and uh, one of my therapists found out that I was a pastor, so he started asking me during therapy all these different uh, questions about God and about the Bible, which I was happy to answer, but I was like, man, can I give you a book to read? Uh, He started reading it, and he absolutely loved it, Um, so this is it. But one of my favorite... um, chapters in this book is, will the real Messiah please stand up? And basically, it's about um, who the Messiah is. And it basically talks about how uh, Jesus has a specific address, okay? So think of it as this about your home address, okay? You have a, a home address. Jesus has a specific address of who the Messiah would be, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I'm going to read a little bit. Uh, I tried to shorten this as much as I could because, like I said, there's so much in here, and I don't want to stand here and read to you this morning, but I just want to share a couple of, uh, of these paragraphs with you. So this is t- speaking of the lineage of who the Messiah was going to be. So in terms of lineage, the Messiah must be born of the seed of a woman, the, line, uh, the lineage of Shem, the race of the Jews, the line of Isaac, the line of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the family of Jesse, and the house of David. In Micah 5.2, God eliminated all those cities of the world and selected Bethlehem with a population of less than 1,000 people as the Messiah's birthplace. Then, through a series of prophecies, he defined the time period that, the, that would set this man apart. 
For example, Malachi 3.1 and uh, four other Old Testament verses require the Messiah to come while the temple of Jerusalem is still standing, which was, it was destroyed in 70 AD and has not been rebuilt since. So very interesting there. Isaiah 7.14 adds that Christ will be born of a virgin. A natural birth with unnatural conception was the criterion behind human planning or any kind of control. There's uh, Matthew 27 that has a lot of prophecies in it, uh, which uh, kind of talks about Old Testament verses. Uh, number one, that Jesus would be betrayed. Two, by a friend. Three, for 30 pieces of gold and silver. And four, that those would be cast on the temple floor. You could see all those verses and prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, this description of the manner of his death was, oh, I'm sorry, a prophecy dating from 1012 B.C. So 1012 B.C. predicts that this man's hands and feet will be pierced and that he will be crucified. As Mike said, if you want to really see something gruesome and, and torture yourself, look up what crucifixion is. Here's what's awesome. The description of the manner of his death was written 800 years before the Romans used crucifixion as a method of execution. Wonder how the Bible knew that. The precise lineage, the place, the time, the manner of birth, people's reactions, the betrayal, the manner of death, these are merely a fraction of the hundreds of details that make up the address to identify God's Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So think about that. Amazing, amazing stuff. We can see here that Jesus has a specific address of person, of, of what they, how they would be born, how that would come in. It's very similar, uh, basically, like to your home address. Think about that. You could order something from the other side of the world, and in probably only a few days now, it shows up on your front doorstep. Out of the whatever billions of houses on this planet, it could show up specifically to yours. It's unique to where you live. Your house number or apartment number, coupled with your street number, coupled with your town or city, coupled with your state and your zip code, it's where you live is specifically unique than anywhere else on the planet. The same could be said about Jesus when we're describing him. Just like a, a specific address anywhere else on the planet, it's the same thing with Jesus. There's only one human that's ever lived in the history of humankind that could fit that address, and it's Jesus. And Scripture itself attests to this. Not only does it testify that he is Messiah, but that he is also God himself. That's exactly why the title of today's sermon is Witness of, uh, Witness of the Scripture. Witness of the Scripture. As we heard last week, uh, Pastor Matt preached, we, we saw John the Baptist's testimony as, as a witness testimony. We saw the works of Jesus. We saw God himself. So today the Apostle John hones in on what Jesus says about Scripture itself that testifies to who he is. We'll be in John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 39 through 47, so if you want to go ahead and turn to your Bibles or follow along on the screen, I will go ahead and read those for you now. 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you 
that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If I come in, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So if we take these eight verses and we boil them down into one main idea, we get this. The truth of Scripture reveals the truth about Jesus. It's that simple. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. The truth that we find in Scripture reveals all the truths that we need to understand about who Jesus is. From, uh, from uh, Genesis to Revelation, not to be confused with generation, the Bible is about Jesus from beginning to end. Jesus was there in the beginning at creation, and he will come back one day as the Lion of Judah to exact judgment on this earth. It's all about him. The truth of Scripture is all about him. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. Once you examine Scripture, you can't just say Jesus was a good teacher or a good prophet. He was either the Messiah, the Son of God, and God himself, or he was an absolute lunatic. There is no other way to, to view him. He's either who he claimed to be or he is a lunatic. But we see Scripture agrees he is Messiah, he is Savior, and he is God. Let's break down these verses to see why this statement is true. Uh, going back to 39 and 40. Thir verse 39 is saying, you, you search the Scriptures so that you may have eternal life, but you refuse me? You search them so that you may have eternal life, but they testify about me. He says, I am the life giver. See, this was and still is the issue with the Jewish faith. They overlooked the Messiah standing right before them in search of salvation through the law and through religion. This isn't on the screen, but I think it's important to read because if you have someone uh, who's Jewish and you're kind of close to them and you have a relationship with them, Isaiah 53 is the best place to bring them to get them to see this. I, I, I saw in an open-air evangelism, a guy had a, a couple of these verses in, in Isaiah 53 just printed. And as people walked by, it didn't matter if they were believers or Christians or Jews or anybody, he said, oh, who are these verses about? Every single person said, oh, that's about Jesus. It's just so apparent. But uh, let me read Isaiah 53, 4 for you. He says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Gee, I wonder who that could be about. If you know anything about the Easter story, it's, it's, it's apparent that it's about Jesus. Now, obviously, the, the Jewish Leaders that Jesus was dealing with back then obviously didn't see the resurrection yet. But come on, they did see it pretty soon after that, right? How could they not believe? How could they see all the things Jesus did and, and the things that he was telling them, 
watch him be crucified, buried, and resurrect, and not go, whoa, I guess we made a grave mistake. That was the Son of Man, the Messiah. They didn't. See, the Bible is the actual Word of God, and, it, and it, it's, it's revealed to us so that we may know God. This is very important to understand. And obviously, they were missing the point. And many times in these um, kind of exchanges with the spiritual leaders, they would try to use like scripture against Jesus. When Jesus would try to tell them these truths, they would actually try to use scripture against them. It's, it's kind of like arguing with the manufacturer of a car over what the manual says. It doesn't make any sense. And this is why the Bible is so important because as it reveals the truth about what God says about himself and salvation, this is the truth that we get from the Bible. Now let me say this, the Bible itself does not save us. I know I'm in some dangerous waters here because it is the word of God. So don't get me wrong there. These Jews were worshiping scripture, but they were missing the Messiah standing right before them. Think about that. Jesus saves us. The Bible just tells us about him. It is alive. It is living. It does reveal truth to us that we can't know without it. But the Bible itself does not save us. So Jesus was literally saying to them, y'all seem to value my word. Y'all seem to, to value scripture, but you're missing the very one that was written about. I am the one who gives life, not scripture itself. And again, without the Holy Spirit and without the Bible, we couldn't even know God. But these men were acting like they were the ones that give validity to the Bible. They were the ones. They are the spiritual leaders. They give validity to the Bible. Therefore, they were the ones who were going to give validity to the Messiah. They were rejecting Jesus while claiming to accept his word. In verse 41, this is exactly why Jesus says, I do not receive glory from men. Like, are you joking? I don't receive glory from men. See, the reason why he said that is because he realized they wanted a Messiah they wanted. They didn't want the Messiah. They wanted a Messiah they wanted. And if Jesus was that kind of Messiah, there would be no payment for sin and no salvation. They, wanted a, they didn't want a Savior. They wanted someone that, who performed miracles and, and fed them food. Uh, they wanted a political and military leader. They didn't want a Messiah, and they definitely did not want Jesus. They were more concerned with the now than eternity. This is why they were missing it. Much like people in churches today are so, I mean, focused on faith healings and promises of wealth and promises of, of all these things because they're focused on the here and now. And when, church, if we're focused on the here and now, we're going to miss what eternity has for us later. Amen. And that's exactly why Jesus says in, in verse 42, he says straight up, that's how I know the love of God is not in you. Because you're not searching for truth. You're not searching for eternity. You want a Messiah that enhances your life right now. And that's exactly why they missed the Savior. Moving on to verses 43 and 44. And Jesus kind of gives them a little heads up. 
He says, I've come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. And then if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. You notice how he's so emphatic about that. You will receive him. He's giving them a little glimpse into their very near future, which again is surprising because they saw Jesus. They saw all the things he did. They saw him die and buried and resurrected. But Jesus is talking about the ones that will come after him, these charlatans. These, these messianic pretenders that people will fall for. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus writes about them and all these couple of messianic pretenders that the Jewish people fell for before the, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. They were obviously false, uh, probably political figures, uh, which, again, there's nothing new under the sun because there's many in the church today that feel that politics are going to save us. And we'll also believe that the, that the Antichrist coming will be a huge political figure, so it all tracks. But Jesus was literally giving them a glimpse into their very near future, and he said, some will come in my name, and they'll promise you things, and you'll accept them because you guys glorify each other. That's why. Because man wants to glorify man. Not, man doesn't naturally want to glorify God. And he says, these false teachers will glorify you as someone that you deserve the best. You deserve the best in this world. You deserve to have everything right now, and, and I want to give it to you. That's what false teachers say. And Jesus was telling them, and you will glorify them as the ones that can give it to you. The ones that will come and fix all your problems and and be a political figure or a military leader like you want in that Messiah. And he says, all of this and you will not receive me, the one who comes from the Father. But you'll receive them because the love of God is not in you. Therefore, you do not seek the truth of God. He's telling them, your worship is broken. Your worship is completely broken. And it brings us to our first point this morning. The truth of Scripture will cause you to worship Jesus, not man. This is the first thing we see this morning. The truth of Scripture, as it it explains to us, it will cause us not to try to worship ourselves or any... um, any pastor, any priest, or anybody else, it'll cause us to worship Christ alone. These people did not have the love of God in them, and it seemed that they simply just loved the world more than they loved God. So their view of Scripture was completely perverted, and it caused them to focus on this world and miss the Messiah that was standing right before them. As we saw earlier, Scripture does reveal who the true Messiah is, right? We saw all of those. And, and yes, we, we do have, you know, it, it's a lot easier for us because we have everything. We, you know, we have the complete set of, of, of Scripture, the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament, and we could go back and we could match them up and, and see. But there's many people that don't really view it this way. But they had the Scripture of the Old Testament. There's so much in the Old Testament that describes who Jesus or the Messiah was going to be. They had a very big chunk of his unique address that showed them beyond the shadow of a doubt who the Messiah was going to be. But they refused to see the truth. 
simply because they did not want to. That's the sinfulness of mankind. We could be presented with the truth right in front of us, but because of our sinful hearts and because what we want, we'll say, no, that's not true. That's not for me. They didn't like what Jesus stood for because he was more about eternity than helping them right now. Church, if we're so hyper-focused on this world, we're going to miss the Messiah that's coming. We're going to miss it. And that's why it was so awesome when Pastor Steve said that today. If you had 48 hours to live... What would you be doing? Well, I'd go and tell all my neighbors. Well, why aren't we doing that now? And I'm, when I ask that question, I'm asking myself, why, why am I not doing that now? The point is that Jesus came to save undeserving sinners so that we can spend eternity with him in, in heaven. And it's impossible to be saved by anything else other than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that reminds us of our main idea this morning. The truth of Scripture reveals the truth about Jesus. This is what we just, we need to understand, we need to grasp. If you're going to know anything about Jesus, it's not going to be from, you know, someone, you know, oh, I just feel Jesus is this way, or I feel the Messiah is this way. You're going to find that in the Word of God. It's because these religious leaders didn't understand the truth about Scripture that they missed the Messiah standing before them. And because of that, it was Scripture itself that would condemn them. It's not Jesus. It's Scripture itself that will condemn us. See, we can be condemned by Scripture, but we can't be saved by Scripture. Let's look at the last three verses, 45, 46, and 47. Verse 45, he says, Do not think it will be I who accuse you before the Father? The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you set your hope. As we remember back in John 3, uh, verses 17 and 18, uh, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. In verse 18, it's because we're condemned already. The law condemns us. When Jesus showed up and he was born, we were already condemned. He didn't need to come and condemn us. Jesus said he didn't come to judge us, but he came to save us because we're already condemned by the Ten Commandments. That is all the way back in the law that Moses gave us. However, specifically in this, um, many scholars feel that, that Jesus was speaking about Deuteronomy 18, which you could go back and read. But Moses is telling them, there's going to be another great prophet like me coming, and don't miss him. It was another one of the messianic prophecies about Jesus. And guess what? They missed it. Moses also wrote in many other places about the Messiah, you know, which we kind of read a, a few of those. Um, but one example is this. This is the first time that Jesus was mentioned in light of the gospel and the Bible. And we, I think, believe we have that one up on the screen, Genesis uh, 3.15. I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first, uh, this is right after the fall, and God's kind of doling out the punishment for the fall of man, and he's telling Satan what his plight in all this is going to be. And the first thing we see is that all of humankind, through the seed of the woman, Eve, all of humankind will be at odds, will be an enemy of Satan. And by the way, Because we're created in in God's image, Satan hates us anyway. 
So the only way he could get back at God at this point is to, to take as many humans with him as possible. So we'll always be at odds, but there will also be one born, truly born by the seed of a woman, the virgin birth. The only one that I know that was born by a virgin birth that would defeat Satan. Right there we said, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's bruised, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a very soft explanation. You will smash his heel, but he is going to smash your head. It will be a death blow to everything that you're trying to accomplish. That is the Messiah. So the re- religious leaders may not have known, you know, again, about the resurrection, but they probably did hear of Jesus' virgin birth. I mean, think about that. That's not something that just goes away. If Jesus was walking around doing ministry, I'm sure at some point when John the Baptist was talking about he's the, he's the prophet, he's, he's the great one, he's, he's this, he's the Messiah, I'm sure somewhere around there people were going, yeah, what, didn't that guy claim to be born of a virgin birth? Like, those kind of things don't go away. And couple that with John the Baptist's testimony and the teachings of Jesus and the miracles of Christ, again, how could they miss it? How could they miss the Messiah standing before them? Again, it was because of the condition of their heart. The love of God was not in them, so therefore they simply did not want to. But Jesus knew that they, couldn't, they wouldn't stand there and argue with the, the words of Moses, going back to those other verses. They're not going to stand there. They're not going to argue with the words of Moses because they claimed to love the law and love the words of Moses so genuinely. So Jesus is pointing out here, it's not me that accuses you. It's Moses who you adore so much. He was trying to get them to see that they really weren't religious because they wanted to glorify God, but because they wanted to glorify man, i.e., or a.k.a., themselves. And if we want to glorify man then the scripture will condemn us. He was saying, if you can't even agree with Moses, you better come correct. Because he wrote about me, I am the Messiah, I am the prophet like Moses, how much clearer could it be? And then he ends with verse 47, by speaking a very hard truth to them, that they really didn't believe the scriptures. He says, if you don't believe his writings, because if you really think about it, look what, what Moses said, if you're obviously not believing what he wrote about me, and if you don't believe Moses, how are you gonna believe my words? It's impossible. How are they not gonna believe Jesus, the one who scripture describes all the way through the entire Bible? So really, it was religion they wanted. They didn't want the Messiah, and they definitely didn't want Jesus. It was a religion that they created only to enhance the world that they were living in right now. As I call Joe up as, as we wrap up this morning, church, I, I want us to really think about this. Are you religious to enhance your world now? Is that, is the, re, is that the reason why you become a Christian? Is that the reason why you follow God's word? Is it to enhance your world now or is it for eternity? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not not the Jesus that you want, but the true Jesus of Scripture, the true Jesus of the Bible. See, the reason why I say that is because there are many who claim to know Jesus, 
but they'll argue against the truth found in Scripture. And they'll usually start out by saying something like this if you're having a conversation with them, you know, pick a topic. But they'll say something like, oh, my Jesus wouldn't do that, or my Jesus wouldn't do this. That's weird. I didn't know we got to pick a Jesus. I thought we'd just find out who he is. My Jesus wouldn't do that. My Jesus wouldn't do this. And it's usually followed by some extremely poor theology and contrary to what Jesus says in his own words. It's due to a poor understanding of Scripture mixed in with some worldly wisdom. If that is our mindset, we are not worshiping Jesus of the Bible. Think about this as we review our points here. The first point we saw this morning was the truth of Scripture will cause you to worship Jesus, not man. When we rightly divide God's word, it's impossible for us not to see the sinfulness of mankind and the holiness of God. And when we glorify man, we will veer from the truth and we'll make a Jesus in our own image. It's so easy for us to do. We're breaking the first two commandments. We're worshiping someone other than God and we're creating, we're making an idol. The best example of this is when a religious leader will either take away from or add to the works of Jesus. It happens all the time in churches across the the globe. They will point to either how religious they are or how loving they are as a spiritual leader or a religious person. And they'll just say, hey, because of these things, how religious I am or how loving I am, I want to make your life better. I was uh, talking to a buddy one time and he was saying how he was going to a universal church, a universalist church. And, and on the, I said, be careful because... I could tell you he's a false prophet. Well, how do you know that? What do you you mean? I'm like, he's false teachings. You can't have all these world religions that are so different but agree that they're all the same. It's, It's literally impossible. He's just there so you feel good. And he said the next time he went there on the way out, the 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 pastor of that church shook his hand and said, Do you feel good? And he said he just got sick to his stomach. He's like, I couldn't believe he said that to me. But it's because they want, to, they want the worship and they want the glory that rightly belongs to Jesus. Or they'll simply make up a Jesus or a political figure or a religious figure that will enhance your life now. They'll appeal to your worldly needs. Let me ask you this. When you hear someone say, I need a savior, or you hear a, a, a pastor or a preacher, probably a heretical one, ask, or say, you need a savior, what do you think they mean? A savior from what? Because unfortunately, many times, it's getting saved from the hardships of this world. That's what they want a savior from. Let me tell you something. Um, I'm saved. And what I'm saved from is the wrath of God that Jesus took for me. Because I deserve that wrath. That's what I'm saved from. And it's so small to say, I want a savior to save me from all these little issues of the world to forego a savior that wants to save me for all eternity. Is that not way better? Why would we accept a savior from 
those small earthly problems in place of a Savior that wants to save us for all eternity. And listen, I'm not saying that um, purpose, peace, through troubling times and hope aren't an earmark of a Christian. I do have purpose to my life. One of the greatest days of my life is when I realize why God put me here on this planet. I do have purpose to my life. It's an awesome thing. I do have uh, peace during some very troubling times sometimes. And I do have that future hope, but that is not why I seek Christ. That is not why I worship him. It's because he saved me. And if we don't understand these things, we'll get it wrong about who Jesus is. And if we get him wrong, we can't worship him correctly. And if we can't worship him correctly, it's like not worshiping him at all. That brings us to our second point. If we do not worship Jesus, Scripture will condemn us. As the, the Bible, you know, is divided from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament is the promise of the coming Messiah, is giving of the law, the promise of the coming uh, Messiah. Uh, the New Testament is, the, is those promises being fulfilled. So we do have the complete picture, and they go hand in hand. You, we have to know the law. We have to know that we're lawbreakers before we could receive the Savior. They go hand in hand. Without belief in the Messiah, there is no salvation. So we need a proper understanding of the law and properly to, to properly worship Jesus. Don't be like these religious leaders. They did not have a proper view of Scripture because they weren't seeking God for eternity. They were seeking God. They were seeking a Messiah for the here and now in this world. Therefore, they could not worship the Messiah that was sent to save them. And we remember our main idea this morning. The truth of Scripture reveals the truth about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you that we can know your truth today. Lord, you've revealed it to us through your word. And Lord, that it's, it's your letter to us how to know you more and how to grow in you each day. And our worship is merely the response to who you are and what you've done for us. Help us to know the truth about Scripture so that we may know you more each and every day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.